America's founding fathers believed their vision, the city upon a hill, could only succeed with a special people in a special place. Over 240 years later, we the people, our American story is still unfolding. My name is Tina McCafferty. Join me every Friday as I spotlight those who embody the American values of faith, courage, and heroism. You will be uplifted, inspired, proud, and humbled to call yourself an American. American history is more than history. It's personal. There is sacredness in suffering. Corey Holmgren. Mindy's American Story. On today's podcast episode, my guest is Mindy. Mindy, welcome. Thank you. Can you share with us a little bit about the beginnings of your story, maybe growing up, your family, leading up to the point where you met Corey? Yeah, so I um, was born and raised in the Salt Lake Valley. Um, I went to Murray High School, graduated from there, um, then went on to go to college at Utah State. Yeah, growing up was... um, I had a great childhood, really great friends in high school. They were all really good influences for me in in kind of shaping the person that we all, you know, are growing into being and becoming. I um, met Corey when we were both living in Logan, going to Utah State. We worked together at the Logan Desert Industries. It's a thrift store up there. And um, the very first time that I met Corey, it was his 22nd birthday. He came into the office to be interviewed, to be hired to work at the DI. So I interviewed him. He was very cute. I was crushing on him immediately. You know, he later told me he was looking to see if I already had a ring on (laughs) my finger. And um, I had a personal rule to not date people that I worked with. So we would hang out as friends, but I didn't want to pair off exclusively. But Corey was really cute. I kind of liked him. And so um, he had asked around apparently wanting to ask me out, but everyone knew of my rule. So he didn't ask me out, but I had this group date planned with some roommates and my date I was going to bring fell through. So it felt like an excuse to ask Corey, but I was very torn. I I did. I asked him out. Um, It was a whole month before he asked me out again and I had almost given up. I thought he was a jerk for like a week because he didn't ask me out again. He says that he didn't have any money. He was very busy, work full-time, school full-time, um, had no money, that kind of a thing. But as soon as he asked me out, it, it was very quickly progressing relationship after that. And um, I say that we dated for three months, but it was three months from that very first date to the date that he proposed to me. But wow. there was a month in between and we knew we were going to get married for a few weeks before he actually proposed. So I don't know, for us, when it was right, it was right. And we just knew so How long was your engagement then? Three months after that as well. His oldest brother was um, deployed at the time and we were trying to wait until he came home, which we knew would be sometime around September. So we decided to get married September 1st, hoping maybe he could come at the beginning of September. And um, anyway, that didn't work out. He came home two weeks after we got married and that was okay. So I, I met him then. We talked on the phone a bunch before that, but um, so we 
we kind of had extended that engagement a little bit, trying to accommodate that. Dating for three months, engaged for three months, from one birthday to the next birthday. I didn't know he existed, and then I was married. So <laughs> When you know, you know, right? When you know, you know. For us, that was our story. So, Did he come from a military family then? You said his brother was deployed. How was, who served in his family? So his two older brothers were both in the Air Force. He just knew all kind of growing up that that was what he wanted to do as well. What exactly he was going to do in the military, he hadn't settled on yet. Um, and when we first met, he was considering joining the Navy SEALs. Oh, and, wow. Um, was just kind of in this process of listing the pros and cons. And I remember dating and taking a walk around Utah State campus, or walking around the quad and walking through the buildings just one evening um, and him telling me about that and telling me how he'd had this list and he was weighing and I asked, well, am I on that list? <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was, it was kind of early on, but he, he knew he wanted to serve and it's really not a surprise to me that I was drawn to that too, because I, I have just always kind of felt a call to serve as well. And I don't know what that really entailed or anything, but it makes sense now because my call to serve was serving by being his wife, by being a chaplain's wife and his call to serve by being a chaplain. And um, we just kind of did that together. His two brothers were in the military. Were there any others? It's interesting to me that if his dad wasn't in the military, why the three boys all went into the military? Because usually you hear it's passed down. That's really interesting to me. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It just was in their own individual family unit. And he, Corey, he's the third child to two older brothers and two younger sisters that are twins. And um, he always kind of wanted to just be like his big brothers all growing up. When did he join the military and how did you both, because I'm sure you were part of that decision-making, decide how he was going to serve? So when we met, he was in Air Force ROTC at Utah State and he was doing like a poli-sci major, international studies, something like that. And I was a music major at the time, so we were kind of opposites, but we just came together. And then he was kind of getting pressured, I guess you could say, from the Air Force ROTC cadre to kind of choose um, his branch or essentially his job, what he was gonna do in the Air Force. And I can't remember specifically the exact jobs that we talked about, but everything he suggested, I was not okay with. It felt like too front of the line. We had these plans for a family and I wasn't comfortable and thinking about, you know, possible future. And it was kind of like, well, um, they'll help pay for school. He'll be in the military for four or five years to pay back and then we'll go do something else. So that was kind of the plan, but he couldn't, he couldn't figure out a job and Meanwhile, together, we were taking a class on living the gospel, living our religious beliefs in the military and keeping up with that through this hard life. And uh, the teacher was a retired chaplain. And throughout his different lessons, just different stories would come up or experiences that he had had. And I remember one night I was sitting on Corey's lap, just kind of 
holding his head and hugging him. He'd been crying. He was just stressed. He'd kind of reached a breaking point, um, not sure what to do and what direction to take. And then I just had this thought and I said, what about a chaplain? And suddenly that felt really right. And um, he went back to those Air Force professors and told them he wanted to be a chaplain. They essentially said the Air Force doesn't really need chaplains right now. So he said, fine, okay, I'll go join the army. So um, in December of 2006, he enlisted in the Utah Army National Guard. He took a little bit of time off because he needed to go to basic training and individual training. And then when he started back in school, he was an army ROTC. So in the National Guard while he was still in school and when he was enlisted, he was a chaplain's assistant um, until he finished and graduated with his bachelor's and became commissioned as an officer. And then the road started on becoming a chaplain, which was a really, really long road for us. It involved a lot of school and requirements changing and so it kept adding on years so what should have been a couple of years was okay two more years okay two more years and again two more years now and it really was this huge trial and test of patience and it it was frustrating enough that multiple times we wondered if we were making the right decisions and and course path for us and considered not staying in anymore, not being in the military, um, not being a chaplain, whatever. And both of us equally and individually knew that this was what we were supposed to do and to stay the course, to just, that this really kind of felt like our calling and we needed to keep with it. So eventually he went to chaplain school and while he was at chaplain school, it's kind of a military training for soldiers to attend who are going to be a chaplain. So it's really fantastic. You get all different religions and you come together and you learn and you share with each other. And um, he just loved it. But while he was there, he was introduced to marriage and family therapy um, and kind of realized how much he really liked it and um, kind of had a knack for it already and so he set out to not only get a master's in divinity which is what the army um, required for chaplains but to also get a master's in marriage and family therapy and they kind of go really well together anyway as the work of a chaplain does so much in counseling soldiers and marriages and families and um, for Corey personally he had a really strong interest and desire to help out in addiction recovery in his therapy practice. He, Corey had a pornography and masturbation addiction in his youth and in his early adulthood. And he really, really felt driven to help others with the same struggles. Um, so this led him to specializing in sex addiction recovery in his marriage and family therapy practice. And he really just combined these two professions of his really, really well. Um, they go so, hand in hand so well and you know there's it's there's no secret that there's problems in the military with suicide and rape and ptsd um there was corey did a lot of research on the correlations between pornography addictions and how they are contributing factor to ptsd suicide and rape he even did a presentation to the va with it and uh 
but all of these life experiences just kind of really made him a great person to talk to. He really welcoming personality and a gift to listen and um, make people feel really comfortable. That made him a really good chaplain and a really good therapist. That's really powerful that you shared that. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. You answered my question already. It takes a lot of effort to become a chaplain. Yeah. When did you get married and when did he start down that road? And when did he reach that point where he was a chaplain? How long did that take? So we got married in September of 2006. He joined the Utah Army National Guard in December of 2006, but he wasn't fully done with all his schooling until 2015. Wow. When he graduated. Are you kidding me? I know. I know. It was nuts. It was nuts. And you said part of that was because they kept adding things, right? Like, oh, yes. yeah, no, you're not. Here's some yes. more. Yes. And uh-huh. things kept changing. It just kind of felt like, and there was a year where he went to a different school. It wasn't a good fit for him. He didn't pass almost any of his classes. So when he changed to a new school, most of those credits, I don't think actually any of them transferred over. So he has started from scratch again. And then adding on a second master's degree, it was a lot. And it just felt like this never ending path, this never ending road that we were never going to be done with school. We were perpetually stuck in this married college student dilemma and we were having kids throughout. So it was, yeah, it was really frustrating. Can he get his master's degree? I'm sorry, what is, is it in theology? What is it? I'm sorry. Divinity. Divinity. Could he take that at any school that offered that? Or were there certain places he had to go for that? It was limited, your choice. There is a program, um, a pretty good program at BYU. He hated BYU. (laughs) (laughs) We, We would joke about that. We would joke about that. So he actually did it online through Amridge University, which is a school in Alabama. And um, there are a few other schools that offer something like that. Um, they're usually some kind of a Christian university or something, something of that sort. And uh, so it was online. He did both, both of his masters online. So by 2015, did he have both masters then? Yes, yes. What happens then? Where does he, yeah. did he ever get deployed or how does, what happened? So he was undeployable because he was doing school for the military this whole time. That's nice. It was a little bit nice. It was also really hard for him. Brothers in arms were, were being deployed and serving their country. It's what he was trained to do. It's what and he wanted He probably to do. kind of felt like he wasn't pulling his fair share. Yes, right? it was hard. And um, he tried multiple times to go anyway to get a slot to go anyway. And it never worked out. There were lots of different whisperings of, oh, this group might go soon, or oh, this group might go soon. And that honestly never happened. He was away tons for different trainings or, you know, two weeks here, two weeks there, couple months here, couple months there. Um, he He was gone for lots of things like that but he never did actually get deployed. Um, So after he finished all of his schooling, he um, got his ecclesiastical endorsement. And um, that comes through your church that you 
belong to. So you work with your leaders to get that ecclesiastical endorsement and that needs to be renewed every year. And so um, every year we attend a chaplain conference where that um, is renewed and we get training. It's a fantastic event that is the highlight of my year and I miss it so much. You then get assigned to a unit. So Corey was assigned to the 19th group special forces. As a chaplain, he was not special forces. He was a chaplain, but then you are, you're just assigned to whatever unit that you, you go with and that changes. He never wanted to be anywhere else and was so excited when they wanted him to take that slot and he never wanted to leave. He was perfectly happy and loved them so much. That was his one of his favorite places to be. Do you know if Corey had other reasons for, for joining the military besides following in his brother's footsteps? Were there other reasons that he felt strongly about that he needed to serve in this way? You know, I think, I think there was just a call to serve, a call to serve those around him. And he did that as a therapist and he did that as a chaplain as well. I think he just felt a call to serve those people that were around him to uplift. Then when we met, that was kind of my call too, that I felt I didn't think that I was going to join the military or that I was going to marry a soldier. I just knew that I wanted to serve those around me. And so it just worked out for us to do that together. So you said he was never deployed then, right? Correct. Did he have the opportunity though to do what he felt was his calling? Did he have the, the chance to serve those that were troubled in the military? And did he ever speak to you about that, how it made him feel? Yeah, so generally speaking, there's a lot who don't feel too keen about talking to chaplains, generally speaking. And this was for sure the case when Corey was first assigned to 19th group. But as soon as that started, as soon as they did start talking to him, he was constantly counseling with soldiers throughout his drill weekends. I found out after he died how many he met with outside of drill. Don't think he charged them for his time. Um, and I'm sure I don't even know all of them, but I know of the ones who have reached out to me personally. Since both of Corey's jobs were private by nature, um, he couldn't share the details right. to me about his days or, or anything like that. But there were times where he would say something like, oh, today was hard because I have a client who's having this hard time or just kind of a vague type of statement. Or he would say, um, I met with one of my soldiers today, but I really didn't know more of like what they were specifically struggling with. And, but Corey was constantly working with people all throughout drill weekends and then all throughout the month. Um, and one thing that Corey had worked on for a while was trying to get a slot to go to airborne school that's jumping out of planes. And um, he was so excited to finally get that spot. Um, he went to airborne school in the fall of 2018. Oh, so wow. He got home from that just a month before he died. He never got a chance to jump with his unit. He was but he was so excited to have that chance so that he could be with his soldiers more and just support them in all the things that they were doing, get to know them more, continue to build a relationship with them and always be around when they needed him. Just trying to make himself both available and relatable 
So when there was a problem, people would feel comfortable reaching out to him. On the day that Corey died, that morning, he went to a Yellow Ribbon event, which is an event for newly returned home um, soldiers and their families. They attend to get resources and things to aid in the reintegration process. And he was there to offer his services as a chaplain and, you know, whatnot. So he actually, he finished that yellow ribbon event earlier than we both expected. So he, he called me on his way home and we decided that we would go swimming as a family. We had this unexpected open afternoon, uh, Saturday afternoon. So we wanted to go do something fun and Corey was an avid swimmer and the kids love swimming and I don't love swimming. I was perfectly happy to have that be dad's thing. And I, so I never went without him. I was pregnant and three other kids. So I didn't feel safe that I could just watch everybody and keep up with it. But a series of events basically led to the perfect storm. Um, one of them in, was that Corey had an enlarged heart that nobody knew about. That's not anything that came up in physicals. I know it's, so weird. it's a whole, it's a whole thing. And, and I don't, I don't have a strong medical reason why his heart stopped while he was swimming that day. I won't because it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. He was perfectly healthy. He didn't have high blood pressure and I have his physicals to prove it. And so why, why his heart was damaged why there was even an issue, I don't know. He was doing a breathing exercise. Um, it was something that he liked doing when he was big on meditation and yoga, did it a lot with his clients and, in his, and for himself. And there was this breathing exercise that he would use um, to help clear his mind when he was gonna meditate, but it made him, he could hold his breath longer when he did it. And so he really wanted to do it and then go swimming to see how long he could hold his breath so he went down halfway or, or down and then back halfway and he came out of the water and he just came up for maybe two seconds and just sunk back down and that was that. Was and over. your children were with him that day? We were all swimming together. Oh, you were all swimming. Oh, how horrible, yep. Mindy, for them to see that. Yeah, oh. yeah. It's, it's been a, a whole thing, <laughs> a whole separate thing to work on. And, um, How old were they at the time? 10, 7, barely 5, and then I was pregnant. Oh. Little Jack was just born six weeks after that. So in the middle of all the heavy grief, I had a baby. And that on top of everything was just so heavy. Having three and a half kids, being widowed at age 33, that is um, not supposed to be the way it happens. That's not in the plan. That wasn't in my plan, that wasn't in his plan. And all the whisperings of deployments and trainings, I um, never wanted to have a baby without him. So we would always be talking about that, like, oh, if you get deployed, I don't want to be pregnant, whatever, whatever. And my two greatest fears became my reality, that he died and that I had a baby without him. And they both happened really close together. And that, that, was, that was pretty heavy. That made it um, really hard 
to even function, my brain to work, you, you just you just kind of shut down when something like that really big happens. You can't process information and you can't, you're kind of a shell, you're a shell walking around because life as you knew it died with your spouse. And you have to learn how to rebuild and find yourself again and find yourself without them because so much of what I am was us together. That was almost, that was two years ago then, right? Yes. What have those two, I mean, you kind of described it. What have those two years been like? Do you see progress in yourself and your children? How, how do you go on? That's, that's such an incredible loss. How do you get through yeah. it? It is mentally and emotionally just exhausting to try to manage your own, my own grief as well as my kids. And it has been at different times and in different ways. I had one child who leaned more towards the angry side of things at first and another who was really outward with anxiety and it just affecting daily tasks and you know, here I am crying myself to sleep at night, trying to learn how to manage family and home life and, you know, support my kids and yeah, try to pick up the pieces a little bit. You can't do it by yourself. We go to therapy, we go to a grief group. It's been incredibly helpful, incredibly helpful. And I'm grateful for the foundation that we kind of already had as a family with Corey being a therapist there is still this inaccurate stigma of therapy and people going to therapy that you are broken and you need help. You're not as good as other people who don't go to therapy because they're not broken. And I would really like to see that stigma go away. Um, therapy has been helpful for us. It's been especially helpful for my kids and being able to process the trauma, I mean myself as well, that was a traumatic experience and um, our brain needs help processing sometimes those different kinds of things. It's like there's a table with just papers all over. They're not organized or anything, but going to therapy and, and helping with the traumatic experience is like putting all of those papers in their appropriate files so that they're just all lined up in your brain and then you can pull out the file and it's everything that you have there. It's just organizing those thoughts so, so that your brain can process and function it again. I have had a lot of friends and family who have been incredibly supportive. Things like bringing meals, cleaning my house, mowing my lawn, um, my elderly neighbor across the street would take out my garbage cans every week and bring them back in for garbage day. Um, a neighbor would check on me every night and empty my garbages or fix cloth pipes in my sink or, or whatever that may be. And you really, I really just needed to have people around me to help. You know, people will say things all the time like, oh, I can't even imagine what that would be like, or I could never do that or something like that. But you, sh you can imagine it and you should imagine it. And that is what gives us a little bit of, of empathy. What if you were in that situation and what would be hard for you if you were living that reality? And it's okay to sit and think about that. And for me right away, I knew that I, 
I didn't want to cook or clean. I just knew that I needed that load off of me because I had no mental energy. I just knew I didn't want to do that. And so I've had lots of friends bring me freezer meals. Um, even for my birthday, I got freezer meals. Um, one of my Christmas presents from my parents was a gift certificate for a cleaning service. It was several, it was several um, sessions or however I wanted to use it for someone to come help clean my house. Um, and before that, I had friends come and clean my house. You want to know what humility looks like. It's letting someone else clean your toilets and not clean your clean toilets, letting them clean your dirty toilets. And that's letting people serve you. And you know what? That's beautiful when you can let others in like that, truly. There's just, there's just so many little, little daily tasks. But when you're, kind of, when you're kind of in that heavy grief moment, you can't really verbalize the things that you need. Like you need everything. You, you need everything. So when it comes to other people wanting to help, you just need to observe and think about, well, what would I need help with? And then try to do, try to do that. Do you find it to be a balancing act on showing your boys that it's okay to grieve, but yet not wanting to, fa to fall completely apart in front of them? I do a little. There are some times where I just don't feel like falling apart in front of them. I have two boys and two girls, boy, girl, girl, boy. And um, oh, I'm sorry. I was thinking you had all boys. I'm sorry. You're fine. There, there are lots of times where we cry together. Um, and there are lots of times where I wait until they're all asleep. I do think it's important for them to know that I grieve. And I think it's important for them to know what grieving looks like. Grieving doesn't always even look like crying. You can be smiling and grieving at the same time. And that is something that I have learned as well, the complexity of grief and the complexity of human emotions, that you can feel multiple emotions simultaneously, that that is one possible and also probable, and that that is totally normal and acceptable. And it, I think that was new for me in just kind of thinking that Grieving means sobbing uncontrollably curled in a ball, which I have done that. And grieving also means feeling lonely in a group of people who love you and you love them, but you still feel alone. And grieving also means smiling through the pain and finding a happy moment and holding on to that when everything else is kind of falling apart or feels like it is. It's definitely a balancing act, but it is important for them to know what, what that looks like and that it's okay for them to, to feel and to cry and to, and to fall apart. It's like that meme that I've seen on social media a few times. It's okay to fall apart. Tacos fall apart and we still love them. I like that. That's good. <laughs> when we speak of mental health, do you think the military does a good enough job in helping families like yourself after a profound loss like this? And do you think they do enough for our soldiers who are still serving or who are not serving any longer, but need that mental, need that mental health? They need that 
that support? Are they getting it? Are we giving it? Is the military doing a good enough job? I definitely can see an improvement now over when, when Corey first joined. And um, I, I can see that there are a lot more conversations about it, a lot more training on it. I can see the improvements. The support that I received from the military right after Corey's death was, was really great. Therapy was offered, um, financial services are offered, you're assigned a casualty assistance officer who was just my right-hand person in every little thing from calling to talk about health insurance and life insurance to also calling the dentist office because I got a reminder for Corey's appointment in a few weeks and I asked him to call and tell them. He just was my person to make all of those phone calls and fight all of my battles because I had no energy or mental stamina to do so. That kind of support is absolutely just irreplaceable and not something that you get outside of the military. Other widow friends of mine and acquaintances, they don't get that. And um, it is truly a blessing to have that kind of support. Um, but I, I do still think that there is definitely some room for improvement. I feel like they're pretty good about when you lose someone, but I feel like there's room for improvement in just continually talking about how addictions can affect our mental health, all kinds of addictions, and continually learning to let go of the stigma of getting help when you need it, being okay with saying, yes, I have PTSD, being okay with talking about really hard things. And I think that just comes from people learning to be vulnerable in their own stories and sharing their hard moments where they have needed to reach down deep and, and find what, hold on to whatever that they could hold on to. But sharing those vulnerable stories is where we get to have those connections. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. That connection comes from being vulnerable with others. That means that these big, tough, strong, burly soldiers um, have to be okay with letting their wall down a little bit and admitting that they're not okay. And I think the more that we talk about it, the more that we'll get down that road of it being accepted and, and even praised of, I'm so glad that you got the help that you needed. I am so grateful for you being who you are or whatever it may be. That really struck me, Mindy, because I know you were a little bit nervous about coming on today. And you've done just that because this is a hard story and you've allowed yourself to be vulnerable. And that's not an easy thing. I, I really appreciate that. I, I know that you have taken concrete steps in remembering Corey and serving others. Will you share with us what you've done? So I had a thought just one day, I was probably folding clothes or feeding a baby or something that I really wanted to start a memorial fund. I think frequently about 
the clients that Corey was working with and the soldiers that he was working with. He wasn't only taken abruptly from my life, he was also taken abruptly from theirs. And I think frequently about um, those people who were getting help and then the person that they trusted left. And um, I just super hope and wonder if they're okay or, or how they're doing. And um, so I, I had this idea to create something where I could help a few people that Corey would if he was still here. I started a nonprofit organization. We provide opportunities for wellness of mind, body, and heart. Corey was all about uh, wellness of your whole self, which includes all your parts, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, and, and having, having a strong sense of health in each of those categories. And that is what creates yourself to be the best that you can be. One of the things that we have started doing is um, therapy scholarships. And we are currently working with um, his, his previous employer, Lifestar of Salt Lake. And it feels like a really positive way for me to channel my grief. I feel the best when I am serving others. It has allowed me to, to meet people that Corey worked with and as they've reached out to me and shared with me their memories and their stories, I appreciate that more than I think I can ever explain fully. We are currently helping three couples and one individual um, with the therapy scholarship. And we have other plans to, to do lots of other things as it, comes, as it comes about. We had just barely finished our very first fundraiser when and we're just kind of getting everything organized when COVID hit and as with everything else COVID kind of delayed a lot of things and so um, we're not as far as as we thought that we would be by now but that's okay because we're still moving forward and but I we just have a goal to support and help those that Corey would if he was still here and I love to have just a really small part of that in trying to help other people realize and understand their potential and their worth and their value, that they have a purpose and that they can use their story to uplift others. And then, you know, maybe we can all actually make it through this really hard and crazy thing called life. What is the name of the organization if the listeners want to find out more? So it's the Corey Holmgren Memorial Fund. Um, you can look up our website, coreyholmgren.org. We're also on Instagram and Facebook. And I have loved the opportunities that have come so far from this. My last question is always, what does America mean to you? On... The 4th of July, before Corey went to basic training, we were at a community thing where there, were a, there was a patriotic program with readings and songs and fireworks, and I bawled through the whole thing. Corey was leaving for basic just maybe three weeks later, 
he was gone over our very first wedding anniversary. So here we were newlyweds and I was devastated that he was leaving me. And, uh, but that night as I was wiping away tears, Corey leaned over and just asked if I was okay or, or what was going on. And all I could muster out was, I am so proud of you. And really that's what it came down to. Corey wasn't overseas when he died and sometimes that makes me feel like I don't belong in this gold star family group. He didn't die for his country, but he did live for his country. And he lived trying to help others live. And he sacrificed a lot of time to serve his fellow soldiers and his fellow man because I've kind of felt a strong sense of patriotism since I was a little girl. And there's probably several reasons for this, but one, one big one that I can think of is my, my fourth and fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Yates. I had her both years because after my fourth grade year, she moved back up to teach fifth grade and I got to be in her class again. Played the piano and she had a piano in her classroom. And every morning to start the day, we would sing songs together and she would accompany us. Um, we always picked the songs, but it was always one patriotic and two of anything else. So every single morning um, for two whole school years, I sang Your Grand Old Flag or America the Beautiful or God Bless the USA or My Country Tis of Thee or 50 Nifty United States. And we would sing that after we said the Pledge of Allegiance. That really instilled a love for my country. I remember listening to um, the national anthem and, and tearing up when I would hear it played at the Olympics. I watched extended family members of mine um, serve in the armed forces and get deployed. And even as a, as a young girl, I realized um, the possible sacrifice that they were willing to make and that I may never see them again. This patriotism deepened further um, after 9-11. And you know, when you stand up for something greater than you, this is service and it's service with meaning and purpose. It doesn't really surprise me that I fell in love with someone who was called to serve our country because it was my call to serve as well. And, and I just happened to do it as his wife. This service to fellow man is the reason that America is the greatest country. If we lose this focus, this selflessness, we will forget what it was founded on and we will lose our way. America means helping our neighbors. It means serving strangers. It means being involved in a community where we lift each other up. America means putting aside whatever differences you have and loving each other because you are human and we are all worthy and deserving. And if we focus on this love and service, this notion of love and service, we will all be reminded why we love America. Wendy, I know this won't put your mind at ease, but you definitely belong in that gold star widow circle. Your husband served, you served, and this is the first episode where we, I've really delved into that mental health aspect, which is a huge part of being our military and the sacrifice that they make, not just physically, but mentally, that can stay with them a lifetime that often goes overlooked. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you telling this hard, emotional American story. Thank you for sharing your American story with us. 
Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, this, this was a little bit out of my comfort zone, but I still enjoy it. I still don't mind sharing my story. Um, Corey's my favorite person to talk about. It's my favorite, it's my favorite subject and I appreciate any opportunity that I can to relive some happy memories as well as some hard ones, but lessons were learned in those hard memories and all of those little things just continually shape us and we can, we can choose to come out, you know, learning something and letting it grow and, and um, kind of shaping who, who we really want to be. What an incredible way to begin season two. I am so grateful for Mindy and her willingness to share her story with us. She is a brilliant, brave, sweet soul. If you want more information on the Corey Holmgren Memorial Fund, visit Corey, C-O-R-E-Y, Holmgren, H-O-L-M-G-R-E-N dot org. This organization funds therapy scholarships and other causes that were dear to Corey's heart. Next week, my guest is Jim, and he is going to spend the hour sharing some incredible stories about Medal of Honor recipients. You don't want to miss this one. If you have a moment and you haven't done already, if you can leave a rating or a review, it goes a long way. And until next Friday, see you then.